This podcast contains mature content, including, but not limited to, profanity, sex, nudity, uh, wait, what, and the occasional spoilers. Oh, no. This episode contains content that may be triggering to some of our listeners. Please check the episode description for more information. Becky, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay, <laughs> Becky? No. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? <laughs> um, I just got ruined. Everything is wrong. <laughs> Did you get a little crush? Yeah, my, my soul is broken, but it's, Aww. you know, it's how I like it. So we'll be all right. I know. I know. Yeah. Are you ready? Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, a buying the book. Okay, a buying the book. Joe, what are we talking about today other than sadness and heartbreak? <laughs> heartbreak. <laughs> today we are discussing My Policeman by Bethan Roberts. And all the pain that comes with and it. All- <laughs> All the pain. Uh, I cry. Oh, my God. I have been reading it for a while now. And today I had a long drive back to home. And I finished it on the drive back. And I just, Uh oh, my God. I was like, I can drive. I'm fine. I'm totally fine to drive. It was a good car cry. Oh, my gosh. I realized that once I got into town, I was riding with my windows down and I'm just sitting there like sobbing <laughs> while this audiobook blares out of my minivans. <laughs> <laughs> this one got you. I, I remember we had been talking about reading this for quite some time mm-hmm. in the preparation for this season. And then with the movie coming out, we were like, we need to do it. We need yeah. to do it. So we did it. And the entire time leading up to reading this, I'm like, this is going to kill me. (laughs) Yeah. I'm here for it. I want to be emotionally murdered. I think I listened to like the first 45 minutes or an hour of it. And I was like, oh, hell, here it comes. It's like, I know where this is going. Yeah. And this is going to hurt. Every bit of me, I was like, surely... This doesn't turn out the way that it has obviously already turned out. Yeah, no. it uh, it ran its course. <laughs> Could you give us a synopsis, please? I would be happy to, Becky. Yay. My Policeman by Bethan Roberts is the story of three central characters, Marion, Patrick, and Tom. It's the relationship of Marion and Tom and the relationship between Patrick and Tom. Marion meets Tom in childhood, and she crushes on him really hard. They kind of grow up together. He goes off to war. He comes back. They get married. But she doesn't know that ever since he's been back, he's been in a relationship with this older man who is a curator at a museum. And they've had this whole romantic journey together that she knows nothing about. Now, the story as it goes on, is not told in a linear fashion. So Mm -hmm. it jumps back and forth. And it's told from the perspective of Marion, who is writing this sort of confessional manuscript in 1999. And she tells the story starting in the mid to late 1950s of how they all met each other. And it goes up until where they are now. Patrick is actually living with them because he's had a massive stroke and she is now his caretaker. 
And she tells this story about how both of these relationships develop. And it's basically how an act of sort of, I don't want to say revenge, mm. but she does something because Patrick, in an attempt to keep a little piece of Tom in his life, or as he says, a little crumb of him, he decides to befriend Marion as well. And so the three of them become friends. Marion has no idea that on the flip side, this relationship is happening. And you find out later on that she does something that has grave consequences and she has to bear a burden of guilt for the rest of her life. It's a beautifully told story. Uh, it's this sad journey for these people that they all sort of love each other in some way and everyone suffers for it. It's It was a beautiful journey that sort of scratched my emotional masochistic itch. <laughs> very nicely yeah yeah <laughs> as i know it did yours yeah it just it kicks you in the emotional shins doesn't it mm -hmm. i did a variation of things i read it physically and i listened to it um in the audio oh, wow i can say that there were certain scenes that were necessary for me to sit and read it i kind of just like spend time with the text but for the most part, I will say the narrators were just top-notch performers. I tell you what, they were so wonderful, especially Pierce Hampton, who voiced the men. This is the one time I'll say this. This is the one time I did not wish that Joe Leslie was narrating instead. <laughs> Pierce brought such a maturity and a warmth mm. to these characters that made you feel all the more for them when tragedy struck. And he was brilliant. You don't hear much from Tom. No. He's just a very quiet character. But when uh -huh. you hear the difference between Tom and Patrick, you can immediately feel the difference. He's got this grit to his voice. And Pierce did a bang up job. I mean, mm -hmm. remarkable. And I haven't heard him before. He sounds like a mix of Jim Dale and Mark Deacons. Okay. Mark Deacons does all of Peter Heller's work. And Peter Heller is one of my favorite authors. On a more commercial scale, he also did all of the Maze Runner books. Oh, okay. I have listened to the Dog Stars. <sighs> so, but that's, I think, the only Peter Heller book I've read. Yeah. That's the, that's the place to start anyway. I would have just been totally captivated by his performance mm -hmm. on this. He did so remarkably well. I'm not aware of the narrator for Marion. Did you have her information? So I found her on Tantor Media's website where she has a profile. Okay. Emma is a very accomplished narrator who has performed for some of the world's most renowned theater companies, including the RSC, Alameda, and the National Theater. And she's voiced characters for BBC radio dramas, as well as countless audiobooks, corporate projects, games, and ads. So she's a very accomplished narrator. No joke. Has a lovely timbre to her voice mm. and did a really, really good job with Marion. She did remarkably and never at any point felt like it was being performed. Mm -hmm. It was just Marion. Yeah. Well, everything was so natural. You felt like you were listening to these people talk and tell their story. Yeah. So what do you think about Marion? I feel like there's a lot to unpack with her. I see Marion in like three different phases. Uh-huh. So there's young Marion, who's obsessive, high schooly, 
She's you know, very much a girl. Yes. Very childish in that yeah. aspect. Um, childish and naive. Very naive. And I think she references that a couple of times about, I had no idea. My naivete was just off the charts. You know? <laughs> and then there's middle Marion where she's coming into her own and becoming a more mature person. And then there's end Marion who is dealing with all of the repercussions of her actions. And still has not lost her sense of naivete. Through the whole thing, she longs for Tom. She honestly craves this boy, but she doesn't see him. And when she does see him, she's like, well, that's too bad. You're married to me. Uh-huh. So I go back and forth on her. There were a couple of moments where I was like, you almost get it. You almost get it but for the most part i kind of want to hit her with a pickleball racket (laughs) (laughs) you feel for her at some point because she's been sold a bill of goods it's not the marriage she thought she was gonna get but also you have to look at her and go come on on." (laughs) all of the signs are there yeah yeah you feel for her in that aspect but that's the only way that she gets like an ounce of compassion from me Mm -hmm. she has this construct of tom in her mind that she created very early in her life Mm -hmm. and she's not able to shake it and she can't see him any other way than the fantasy in her mind the tom that is in her mind isn't real Mm -hmm. he doesn't exist and she can't shake that that fuels that ignorance or the looking away or the excuses or or whatever, because she just can't get past the fantasy that her brain came up with when she first laid eyes on him. Yeah, you're right. She just doesn't let him or herself, actually, for that matter, move past the courtship phase almost. Mm -hmm. Even when they get married, she's like, he'll come around. No. Well, and it's like they skipped the honeymoon phase and just went straight into an old married couple marriage almost it did feel like that but i can see that from the obligation point of view for tom once a week he's gonna service her because he knows that he has to to keep up the facade isn't it like every other friday or every other saturday yeah it's like a specific day of the week yeah. yeah. And she knows when it is and he knows when it is and it is what it is. You know, for keeping up appearances sake, Tom just had to have something to keep him somewhat husband ish. Uh-huh. Right. For Marion, I just I wish I could say that by the end of the book, I felt that she had learned her lesson, but I don't think that she fully grasped it even at the end. No, not at all. She was trying to atone for her sins and trying to like, I don't know, I think she was trying to clean her conscience and it wasn't from a place of acting out of love for Tom or out of love for Patrick. It was more about moving forward with clean karma slate almost. It's sort of like if atonement was a mean girl, does Mm -hmm. that make sense? Mm -hmm. You know, in referencing atonement and the story where she creates this fictional story to atone for something that happened years ago. But with this, she writes this manuscript and then goes here and then creates a mess and then goes off and leaves them with her mess. Because A, this is not going to benefit Patrick at all because she's his primary caregiver and Tom's not going to take care of him. So he's just going to end up in some nursing home or something, probably not receiving very good care and will probably very soon after pass away. 
And see, I disagree. I think that in leaving, she is making space for Tom and Patrick to have the last few days of Patrick's life together. Because at the end, she's saying, I'm here, I'm watching you. You're slipping, but he's there with you. And he's propped you up and he's reading to you. And he's he's experiencing emotions that I haven't seen him experience in a really long time. And so her act of leaving was a incredibly selfish yes. And on par with just everything she's done as a shitball human. Mm-hmm. But I think she's also giving them just a little bit of time together to just be at what a shitty point in life to give them finally. Oh, you're peeing yourself. You're denying everything and living in an oblivion. Um, Bye. But I also feel like she was at this point, like, okay, you know what? Here's my two cents. I've made it this far. Peace. Enjoy yourselves. I don't think it was an act of vengeance to leave her story and leave. I think it was an act of self-preservation and like a final giving of herself to Tom. I I get that. And I think that's what she thinks she's doing. I just don't think that that's how it would play out. Um, But, you know, that's me, me being the cynic that I am. And see, I think that without Marion in the way, Tom would step in and be what he needs to be for Patrick. But with Marion there, he's going to separate himself from Patrick at all costs. Sure. No, I I absolutely agree with that. When she starts dropping hints that she needs help with him and she's pretty much just done, Tom just absolutely broke my heart at this point. He looked at Marion and said, I've already lost him once. Yep. You want me to lose him a second time. Mm-hmm. Aww. That is why he's not stepping in and helping already because he's so afraid to face the pain uh-huh. and the yeah. time missed. Oh, <laughs> you, you really remind me of someone. Um, oh, me. <laughs> <laughs> It's your turn to cry during an episode. Jeez. Oh, my God. I um, intentionally only put mascara on my upper eyelashes. (laughs) I was like, this is not going to be pretty. Yeah. I do think, though, that she left Tom in a situation that as much as you do want them to have time together, you do want them to, you know, have some sort of closure and reconnection. But she also left him in a physical situation that he is completely unequipped to handle. Mm-hmm. You know, he's never changed him, bathed him, you know, prepared meals for him, all this stuff. And so while almost beautiful in sentiment, it's like, really? I don't know. There's so many ways to think about how her leaving affects the end of the story, because that plays off page. But we don't see what happens after she yeah. goes. So I hope for the best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you know. It makes me think back to the time when she's feeding him, I believe, and he looks at her and goes, where's Tom? Uh-huh. And it's the only time he's spoken. The only time. And she she just blows right by it. She's like, I know what you're saying, but I'm not going to acknowledge it. And it was at that moment that I was like, you're still really, really bitter. This has been mm-hmm. 40 years. 48. And I you believe. are still violently bitter. Uh-huh. This man went to prison because of something you did. 
and is now in this state because of something you did. You did. And that's where I think her conscience came in. That's why he's there. That's the only reason he is in their house is that she's like, I have to clear my conscience. And by taking care of him, she's clearing her conscience and she's doing a shit job of it. Uh Uh-huh. She just misses the mark at every turn. She just can't get it right. There were times that I wanted to feel for her. You know, I wanted to empathize with the beard and be like, I get it. You did not get what you thought you were getting in this marriage and in this relationship. And you have been fooled. But goddamn, girl. Yeah. Well, and one of the reasons I loved Emma Powell's narration is that she didn't read a heartless character. Mm. She didn't read her coldly. Mm-hmm. She gave her a heart and soul, which it makes her actions even more evil. Yeah. You know? And she has a conscience and she knows what she's done. Uh-huh. But ugh, Marion. <sighs> she's just remained a dunderheaded, naive child the whole story. Yeah. Don't know what universe she was living in. But uh... even from the beginning of the book, you know, she doesn't like him because she's even talking about, you know, I'm sitting here in the nicest room in our house and you have the ocean view and I don't have the ocean view, but this is the way Tom would have wanted it for you. Uh huh. And it's like, all right, cool. You obviously don't like whoever you're talking to. You were very resentful of this person and you can see Uh how it's where it starts and how far it goes. This book is so layered with so many emotions and it just feels so indicative of an honest human experience. Uh huh. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes you can read a book and you're like, this seems played out for the story or for the point of the plot. No, I, I have met Marians. I have met girls who would die for someone who has absolutely no interest in them, mm-hmm. who would do horrific things <laughs> for people yeah. who have no interest in them. And it's the familiarity of her throughout this whole book that just astounded me. You're so unaware of anything outside of your little two-foot space of being. I have just been astounded by the truly immersive experience of seeing Marion and kind of understanding a smidge of it. But also being astounded by the level of almost consistency that she has through the whole thing. Like you think she's grown, but by the very end of the book, you realize she's still that Uh 17 year old doing everything she can to get Tom's approval. Yeah. Yeah. The emotions in this book just, I'm floored. It's so complex. And Patrick. I love Patrick. I want a book just about Patrick. The book goes in portions. Yeah, because I texted you at one point and I was like, I'm bored with Marion. Get to the boys. <laughs> so you start off with Marion and then it switches to Patrick and then it goes back to Marion and then back to Patrick and then back to Marion. And after reading Marion's first little bit, you're like, it's fine. And then you hit Patrick's part and you're like, holy shit, he loves him. Uh huh. Instantly, he craves him. He longs for him and the way that he never once calls him tom he calls him my policeman policeman. the whole fucking (laughs) fucking book yep i know i am telling you the second 
part two was over and it went back to Marion, I was like, no, <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. Not only was his love for Patrick so pure and so beautiful and so strong. He's just genuinely a prince of a man. And knowing that tragedy is coming to him just adds an extra layer of tension and dread as you're hearing his story play out because you know what's coming. You don't completely know what's coming and how it's going to transpire or what events are going to occur but you know it's not going to work out for him and you hate that for him and it just adds to the looming grief that you're going to feel when you discover where these paths have led our characters he's so cultured and he's so knowledgeable and he's so kind he's kind to everyone and he mm -hmm. didn't have to befriend Marion and he was very gracious to her not once was he snide not once was he rude or even condescending mm -hmm. he never once talked down to her you know he defended her yeah in arguments with Tom he defended her he took her side he understood what she was feeling <laughs> <laughs> I hate it, Joe. I hate this book. <laughs> no, you don't. But uh, I and I just love the way that he expresses his love for Tom. I don't know if he ever says, I love you. However, I do think that what he whispers in Tom's ear after he gives his toast is, I love you. But I don't know that we hear it anywhere else. But the way that he nurtures him, both physically and mentally, by showing him pieces of the world that Tom never would have otherwise encountered, art and philosophy of life and so much beauty. He opens him up to so much beauty and a love that he wouldn't have elsewhere. He is just such a gift to Tom. Yeah. And Tom is like a bright-eyed, excited child seeing the ocean for the first time or mm -hmm. something, you know? meeting batman the real one and i don't know but he's always so interested and you wouldn't think that some bloke in a sea swimming club who was in the army and is now a policeman would be interested in art yeah he was already interested in art when he met patrick and patrick just nurtured that even more i wish we had more time with them i wanted those i, I didn't want sex i wanted those private intimate moments where they're just spending time together and they can be safe in each other's company and i love that patrick is not only tom's safe place but his home a home in which he cannot live and i i just i just loved everything about patrick one of the things that i really liked about this story you just kind of alluded to it was that we get to know patrick's side of the story and we get to know Marion's side of the story, but we are never told Tom's side of the story. Mm -hmm. Tom's side is like this giant enigma and you can see him pretty clearly through their truths. But like you just said, you don't experience the moments in Venice together. No. You don't experience the moments when he's given a key and told, this is your home too. Come here as much as you need. Or when he's shown around for the first time, or just, you don't get that side of this relationship. It's this very secret nugget of just privacy. Mm -hmm. 
that is withheld from the story, but you can feel it. You know that these moments are worth blowing everything up. They're worth the risk of getting caught. It's worth having a beard for a wife. Mm -hmm. There's just, I'm not making this clear. You're feeling feelings. I am feeling all (laughs) of the feelings. I'm trying to be eloquent, but I'm sitting here like... I think the lack of Tom's side of the story allows the reader to really create Tom the way they want to create Tom. So I think this story could be read with Marion as a heroine, as a resilient woman who put up with a trifling husband who was never there and didn't love her. I think if you're going to go into this book looking for that, you could find that. I went into this book looking for what I always look for in queer books, the relationship. And I found that. So I project my point of view onto Tom's experience mm-hmm. and Tom's portion of the story. I put those private moments and the quiet and the absolute true love in those moments. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think someone else could absolutely come in and project their opinions onto Tom's portion. And it could totally change the, the book for uh-huh. anyone. Well, I think it's necessary for us to not get Tom's story because it adds an another layer of tension because you don't know what he's feeling in the present day moments of the book. And that adds to the mystery and then the power of his speaking at the end, his admittance mm-hmm. of, I've already lost him once. Please don't do that to me. Please don't take him away from me again. If we had his story and we knew what he was feeling this whole time, I think it would diminish the power of what we see from him near the end. Mm -hmm. It would be interesting to know, but I also liked not knowing what he was feeling as he was going about his day in days in 1999 with his Mm -hmm. wife being the caretaker of the love of his life and watching him in this state and everything. I think it just really adds to the sort of emotional punch at the end. Yeah. So speaking of emotional punches, let's dive right in. <laughs> Marion spills the beans on Patrick and gets him fired. And Whore. more than getting fired, she- <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong. More than being fired, she gets him arrested. And basically, he's like, I'm just not going to fight it anymore. It is what it is. Uh huh. Call it. Yeah. He he meets this big tobacco mafia Don type Uh guy and lives under his protection while he's in prison. Who's not big at all. He's actually this little stout ginger fella. Oh, was he? I just missed that part. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The thing that got me was he's made it so close to the end. He's so close to getting out. Uh And he is so desperate for a breath of Tom. Just a glimpse, a glimmer, a note, someone breathing his name Mm -hmm. that he begins to tell the story of Tom and how Tom was this beautiful policeman and he had a problem. And he carried this problem with him everywhere. And he goes through the entire story of them in this heroic opera type retelling. You feel for him. He's telling the story and he's not stopping and he's not stopping. And the inmates are beating the life out of him. Yeah, because the guy he befriends likes to hear him talk about history or whatever. And so he's like, tell me something. Tell me a story. 
And mm-hmm. that's how he begins to tell this tale, which is his own. So he's telling the story, but it's his only way of having a piece of Tom mm-hmm. and making Tom real. Because to him, Tom is in his every thought. And he says it frequently. I try not to think of Tom, but Tom is everywhere. Tom is in the air. So by saying it, it's finally admitting to himself that I can't go on any farther uh-huh. without acknowledging that I am living without my other half and my other half can't come see me and he won't come see me and he won't acknowledge me. So he winds up being beaten to nearly death. And with every blow, he says, Tom, 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 he's crying out for his soulmate as he is beaten to the point of essentially brain dead. And the fact that he lives like that and Tom can't even bring himself to acknowledge that he lives in the same house as Patrick now. And the only word that Tom, that Patrick manages to eke out of his existence from that point on is Tom. It shows perfectly where Marion was lacking everything that Patrick had. He was willing to die on that throne. He was willing to, for the sake of admitting to everyone and to himself that he couldn't live without Tom, he was willing to lay down his life just to to admit that Tom was the only thing that he was living for anymore. Mm-hmm. There's a line that I um, nearly veered off the road <laughs> for earlier Mm -hmm. Patrick's in prison and he's kind of just explaining that atmosphere of prison and what it's like and there's a little desk in his corner of his room and it has the word joy carved into it and it's probably someone's name Uh but he runs his finger over it on a daily basis and tries to see it as good luck but at night when the lights go off there's someone who just screams my god my God, my God. And he just screams and screams and screams all night. And he says, every night, the man shouts over and over, my God, my God, my God, as if he believes he can really summon God to this place. If only he can shout loud enough. At first, I expected other prisoners to shout back, order him to shut his mouth. That was before I understood that once the lights are out, no other prisoner will ask you to deny your pain. Instead, we listen in silence or call back our own grief. It's left to the screws to bang on his door and threaten him with solidarity. Yeah. No other prisoner will ask you to deny your pain. Mm-hmm. And that is such a vivid representation of living queer in the past generations. You can't cry out, but at night or around your people, no one else is going to deny you the fact that you are hurt mm-hmm. and lost. Yeah. I love this book. <laughs> No way. I hate it, but I love it. (laughs) I knew it was going to wreck me. And I think it's just like the perfect mix of The Tin Man by Sarah Winman Uh and Lie With Me. I was thinking of Lie With Me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting. I was more emotional in in the first half of the book, especially with Patrick's character. He's so alive and Mm. vibrant. And knowing what was going to come, it just made me constantly weep. (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> like at one point I texted you and I was like, I'm to the point where I'm just constantly crying now. Mm-hmm. And then the story changed a little bit. We go back to Marion and it, that dried me up a bit. You stop crying. <laughs> <laughs> and I just definitely felt things, but I felt them a little more quietly as if my tear ducts were my eyes and I was stunned into silence, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I just sat there and especially during the arrest and the prison scene and the fact that you find out that Tom was there at the police station when they brought him in and, you know, the grief that he goes through after that, where he's just wailing on the floor and the moments at the end when he confesses that he can't bear to lose him again. And he's been dealing with that loss every single day. I just, I I wasn't. It definitely moved me. It didn't shake me. It was more calmly devastating to me mm. for some reason. And I don't know if it was just the the tone of the author's voice or I don't know what it was. It was very atmospheric and you felt mm. very swept away by everything. But it was also kind of jolting when you were switching back and forth from the 50s to the 90s. And it's like you go from being swept away just like tom off your feet by patrick and then you're shoved back with the school marm who it's just it's like uh back again <laughs> i'm in detention <laughs> and I, I was deeply moved by it but i don't i don't know it didn't it didn't break me like blue is the warmest color or call me by your name or a little life or dream boy you know And I think that I had sort of amped up the tragedy in my mind. Mm. Now, don't get me wrong. This is fucking tragic as hell. And it just doesn't end well for anyone. And it can't end well for anyone. They've been on this course for too long. But I think I had really, really amped up my own emotions and my own reaction to it. That when the ending came and I just said, I just, well, the first time I, I went back and I listened to this ending twice. Mm-hmm. The first time I may have imbibed a touch of alcohol and I was like, what the shit? This is how this ends. And I, yeah, I was angry and I was like, that's the incorrect response to this ending. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a response. <laughs> I should be sobbing. What? What's wrong? Mm. And so I listened to it again, and I was like, wow, ouch. <laughs> Ow, yeah. what is this ache? Kudos, Bethan Roberts. Yeah. I'm going to relive this one again, probably fairly soon, just because I want to make sure that I'm not, you know, too happy in my life. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and it also goes to show how lucky we are as queer folks to have the freedoms that we do. Mm. currently anyway we can't be arrested simply for being who we are right and we don't live in that particular fear Mm. as romantic as it may sound on paper of being in love in europe in the 50s and all of that On the flip side, there's such a sinister darkness to that. Mm -hmm. And and you can put that on any time in history with many groups of people. Yeah. And uh, it gets to the point where we we don't even have to think about our neighbors on a regular basis, where Patrick's 
previous boyfriend committed suicide because his neighbor started sending them threatening notes saying, I know what you're doing. Send me money or I'm turning you in. Uh Patrick has seen what it can cost to live in a relationship with someone. Mm -hmm. He knows the risks, especially being with a policeman. He even talks about how he doesn't want people seeing him come and go from his flat Mm -hmm. for that reason. It has Mm -hmm. to be the specific time of day. Yeah. It's little freedoms like that that I think we just completely take for granted. Reading things like this and seeing how the experiences could have been just really puts a Mm -hmm. lot into perspective. Yeah. And can I just say, I had the perfect revenge plot for vengeance for Michael. Give it. (laughs) So Patrick talks about how he has suspected their landlady of blackmailing Michael. Um, Mm -hmm. sending him anonymous notes saying, I know what you did, send five pounds. I know what you did, send 10 pounds. And they just keep coming until he ends his life. And at the funeral, Patrick sees her and she's already been suspect in his mind, but she is wearing this fancy stole and she is looking like she's just been caught with her hand in the cookie jar almost. Mm -hmm. If I had been Patrick... I would have sent her a note saying, I know what you did. Send five pounds. I know what you did. Send 10 pounds until that debt was paid and even more with interest. Maybe that's how Patrick was able to afford such a nice apartment. I like that. I'm going to pretend that that's what happened. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Joe. Yes. If you had to rate my policeman, what do you give it? So... Yesterday, I would have given it a very, very solid, very strong three and a half Matisse paintings. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Today. Son of a bitch. After... <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, today, after our conversation, I'm giving it four. I pretty much knew how this ranking was gonna go Uh when i started the book you're immediately sucked into the level of writing and you're like this is lush and very atmospheric and very very my type of writing like this Uh is what i love to listen to even if the story had been complete crap i would have given the writing at least a three solid like hands down solid three but here's the problem the story's not crap. <laughs> I feel like crap after reading it. It's solid, Joe. It is solid. Mm-hmm. I can't go. I can't go less than four point five. I'm right between four point five and five uh-huh. right now. I don't think I've I've seen you respond to a book like this since Lie with Me. This book gets me because it's a combination of Lie with Me and Tin Man. Uh huh. And if we, if and when we read Tin Man, you will see this Becky again. <laughs> so we're, I'll just be in my house robe and not wear any eye makeup at all. And we'll just drink the entire episode. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> it's so much of Lie With Me because it's all about missed opportunities and the inability to grasp what is truly yours mm-hmm. for all of the wrong reasons. You know, he missed the opportunity to go to Patrick after prison. 
he missed the opportunity to be the one to heal him on a daily basis. He missed that opportunity, but he also missed so many other opportunities in life just because of the way things were. I love a good sorrowful book. So this one gets 4.55 stars. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Yeah. That is fair. I was going to tell you, and I may have texted you this earlier. So the first book of this season, um, we did Boyfriend Material by Alexis Hall. Mm Mm-hmm. He left a scathing review of this book on Goodreads. This book? This book. And I didn't read the whole thing because it's really long (laughs) (laughs) and involved. You can see that he took major beef with this. Something in this book really pissed him the hell off. (laughs) So anyway, a little fun fact that is out there if if you want to read it. But anyway... It was great. I hated it. It was great. (laughs) You're just basking. I am really, really, really not at all. 1000% cannot wait for the movie. (laughs) We should do an episode where we talk about it or dedicate part of an episode to um, talking about our reactions to the movie. (gasps) Done. I'm just, I need to go into a dark theater where no one knows me. And take my own box of tissues and my own package of Oreos and just sit there and let nature run its course. <laughs> you could do, do like uh, what I did with my friend Judy. We went to go see Call Me By Your Name and we sat in the back row. And during the big Michael Stuhlbarger monologue, <laughs> without even looking at each other, she passed me the Kleenex and I passed her the flask. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about right. Yeah. Would you like to do our socials for us? I can get those rolling for you. Thank you. Uh, you can find us online on Instagram at Agea by a Book, on Twitter, Agea by a Book, on TikTok, Agea by a Book. And you can also send us an email at Agea by a Book at gmail.com, as well as our home website anchor.fm slash a gay a buy a book Uh, thank you very much bravo so next week we have our hump day quickie which you know we have like no bloopers for this episode so that's probably not even worth turning in for Mm -hmm. Uh, sometimes tears are funny (laughs) (laughs) need to call my therapist and tell her what you just said (laughs) some people get off on that I mean, not literally. I, never mind. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> yeah. So we have our Humpty Quickie next week, and then we will have a full episode for you in two weeks. Yay. I'm so excited. So now you know what you're doing with your Wednesdays for the next two weeks. So, you know. Exactly. You can schedule your podcast time with us, your podcast friends. We're the only ones you need. Forget true crime. come listen to me cry on air it's gonna be fun forget porno (laughs) (laughs) and if we have to explain our references to you then that's not fun really not no well it's been an episode it has been a flooded episode practically swimming over here in becky's tears i know you're welcome go have a glass of wine or something can i have a margarita sure this calls for the harder liquor (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to go pour me three fingers of bourbon. I'm headed to the tequila, so. Ooh, all right. Well, cheers. See you there, sir. Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> we can't wait.
talk to you all next time. Everyone have a great week. See you next Wednesday. Bye. Okay. Uh, I cry.